Today's episode is about generosity and what factors go into how generous you are. Random question. If you had to guess who is more generous, churchy American conservatives or bleeding heart liberals? You might immediately say conservatives or liberals. The answer? It's both or neither. And that's a perception gap. I'm Samantha Lane Perfoss, and this is Perception Gaps by the Christian Science Monitor. So when I asked you who was more generous, my guess is you claim that your party is, whichever party that is. And that's what a lot of people think. In the U.S., liberals and conservatives each say they are more generous than the opposing party. Recent survey results show that 95% of Democrats believe liberals are a more charitable group, while 81% of Republicans believe conservatives are more charitable. So who is right? Over the past 10 years, the popular press has highlighted studies showing that conservatives tend to outgive liberals. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg. The fact of the matter is, we're all getting worse, much worse, at being generous. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. We find um, the, the single sentence takeaway is that Republicans do, in fact, give more money than Democrats. But the story is more complicated than that. This is Michelle Margulis, an assistant professor of political science at the University of Pennsylvania. She does a lot of research on the intersection between religion and politics. And the hard numbers show that Republicans are more generous. And religion is a big part of that. Republicans are more religious than Democrats. They are more likely to identify with a religious community, and they're more likely to go to church. And that matters a lot because when we talk about charitable giving and when it's measured in surveys, donating to one's house of worship is considered a charitable act. Um, it's something you can write off on your tax returns, for instance, because churches are nonprofits in the U.S. And so what we find is the charitable gap that you see when you just look at the absolute amount of giving between Republicans and Democrats is basically completely driven by Republicans donating not just to religious organizations, but actually to their own church and religious community. Whereas when you look at religious organizations that aren't affiliated with the church or secular organizations where you can donate, then you don't see a partisan gap emerge. And in fact, with secular organizations, you see Democrats donating more than Republicans. Um, I saw one survey monkey study actually that looked at or asked people what their motivations were for giving. And the reason that most Democrats gave was to support the greater good. And for Republicans, the reason they gave most often was to give to a specific group or charity. So that kind of lines up with, I guess, what you found. And I just think that's really interesting. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on why those motivations might be different or how that might sort of play into the bigger picture. 
Yeah, I think the motivations matter a lot because it affects how much you're giving and to whom. Um, so another reason why people might be giving more to their own churches is because you're part of a community where it may be private giving, but it actually might be more public. You might know what other people are giving or what other people pledge to give. And so you're part of this community where there's a peer pressure involved, um, where you want to not be seen as the person who's not carrying his or her fair share, or carrying his or her weight, I guess is the phrase. Whereas if with Democrats, if they're giving broadly to lots of kind of secular organizations that the Democrats are not necessarily an integral part of, there's less oversight. They may feel less pressure to donate. So the Democrats and the Republicans, in addition to giving to different charities, they might actually have different motivations for giving. What are some of the implications of what you found? Like, if okay, so if we know conservatives are more likely to give financially for whatever reason, does this give us a better or a different understanding of how Americans operate? Or like, how am I supposed to use this information, I guess? You know, if I was a nonprofit, I would want to know who I could and should target. And the answer is, you shouldn't target based on party ID because there isn't actually a difference. Um, And I think for you as a society, I think that this is a really important indication that politically, we're not as divided. There's a lot of research out there showing that we're very divided politically. And I think in a lot of respects we are, but it's not that Republicans and Democrats, it's not that something about our political identity is shaping how we engage in this completely apolitical activity, like giving to charity from a political angle. Maybe this is a little bit of positive news that we're actually not as different as every time you open the newspaper and we think, oh, Democrats and Republicans are dissimilar on everything. This is something where maybe we're not. So maybe the two political parties aren't that different, at least when it comes to giving money. Our next guest is Nathan Dietz with the Do Good Institute in University of Maryland College Park. And he's going to talk about a different kind of generosity, giving our time. He found that, much like giving money, you won't find a big partisan divide in volunteering either. But what I found to be really interesting was the fact that, in general, volunteering is going down. Here's our conversation. So you're working on some new research now that looks at the trend of volunteering overall in the U.S. What have you found? is the status of kind of overall volunteering. What we've noticed, I think, after 2012, the volunteering rate has dropped considerably uh, at, at a national level. And I don't think anybody expected that. Right after September 11th, volunteering reached an all-time high in the U.S. From 2003 to 2005, it was at its peak. It then dropped a little bit, but bounced around over the next seven to eight years. And then we get to 2013. It was really unexpected, I think, to see in 2013 that there was a big drop in the volunteer rate, another big drop in 2014, and a third one in uh, 2015. So the end result is that the volunteer rate in 2015, which is the, the last year for which we have data from this source, is the lowest that we've seen probably since the late 80s. 
that's it's kind of crazy, you know. It's yeah. like you know we we start thinking like you know oh my party's more generous, but it's like well whatever party you're from, like we're all getting really bad at volunteering, like and being generous with our time, and I guess that's not what I I would have expected at all. Well, I, I think that's a I think other people are are noticing the same type of thing uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to donating money and uh, the. Uh, there, there was recently a piece published by the by our friends at the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at uh, Indiana University, and uh, they're they're the uh, engines behind the great Giving USA report, which is published every year, which is a kind of a, a huge, comprehensive national snapshot of of giving. And what they've noticed is, uh, even though their headline, their top line statistic every year is that the amount given uh, by people from all sources for the last few years has reached an all-time high, even controlling for inflation. Behind the scenes, the participation rate for donation has been declining. So just to kind of recap that, the people, there are less people who are opting in and giving money or volunteering their time. However, the the people who still give or volunteer are just doing more of it. So they're almost like super givers. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that's what uh, that, that's the conclusion that you draw, and uh, and that raises that raises a couple questions. One is uh, is this sustainable? And when you think about volunteering, uh, then I think it's easier to see it when you uh, um, when you think about uh, donations, because we all think of volunteering as uh, as something that we'd like to try to fit into our lives. If anything, I think most of us feel like we would want to do more volunteering. But life, our other life obligations limit the amount of time that you can actually devote to volunteering. And that's just a reality for many people. Mm. Is there anything that gives you hope that the number of people contributing, whether it's financially or with their time, that that will improve, you know, and that we may see ourselves go back up instead of kind of continuing this decline of volunteering? Well, I, I can speak for uh, I can speak for myself and and others here on campus, but uh, the younger generations I think are uh, are of course they're the key to whatever the future is going to look like. Uh, you know, is is based largely on uh, what the younger generations are doing now and uh, what they're going to do as they as they mature and uh, and get get themselves established as members of their neighborhoods and communities and and the larger society. I think that. Uh, um, what makes me optimistic on a on a daily basis is just looking around at the students here on campus and all the good things that they're doing and and the motivations behind the the work that they're putting into to doing good. I think that uh, our obligation, I think, is to try to figure out how to uh, how to make those opportunities available for uh, for more young people, just to get them to realize that. Uh, the reason why a lot of people feel like this is something, these uh, doing good is something that everybody should do. It's because it's attainable. You can, uh, it's feasible for you to go out there and uh, and do something that is actually going to help some people. You can do more and have a bigger impact if you work with other people to try to build something that uh, the, that has more of an impact. The more you do, the more enjoyable it is, and uh, the more likely it's going to be that you'll be, uh, you'll be making this lifelong, that you'll be doing this for the, the rest of your life. Later, I asked Nathan why volunteering, and even giving, has gone down in the U.S. 
He said that while his research hasn't looked into this question, he cited one study that found that because people now value autonomy so much, there have been increases in self-centeredness and decreases in empathy for others. There's also been a weakening in the confidence of religious institutions. Essentially, we're seeing an overall decline in civil participation. For me, I can't help but wonder, are there other benefits to generosity? First off, it's not that money is the key to happiness, but given that we spend so much time thinking about money, what are the ways that we can spend it to make ourselves happier? Michael Norton is a professor at Harvard Business School. He also co-wrote the book Happy Money with Elizabeth Dunn. They found a really cool connection between generosity and happiness. One of the things that we focused on uh, in our book, which I wrote with Liz Dunn, is the idea that the ways that we typically or habitually spend our money, they're not wrong. They just don't pay off in that much happiness. So, for example, the amount of money or the percent of your income that you spend on stuff, which is most of what we spend our money on, is totally uncorrelated with how happy you are with your life. It's not negative. So it, it, buying stuff actually isn't bad. It just doesn't do much for you. And so what we really wanted to do was see if we could identify other things you could do with your money that might actually produce more happiness. Did you find a connection between giving and happiness? One of the first things that we did was we just asked people how they spent their money. So you could take your credit card statement right now and just go through it at the end of every month. First off, it's depressing. <laughs> you could just go through it and categorize things. You know, was this stuff for me? Was this a gift for somebody else? Was this a bill? All sorts of categories you could make. And you can actually see how much money you spend on different things. Typically, people spend a lot of money on themselves. Of course, you know, we need to pay rent and uh, mortgages and buy clothes and things for ourselves. Uh, and But they spend a lot on that and very little on, for example, experiences and very little on giving to other people, whether that's charitable donation or gifts for someone else. What we find is that, the uh, again, spending on yourself doesn't seem to correlate with your happiness, but the percent of your income that you spend on others is a strong predictor of how happy you are with your life in general. In other words, people who habitually give also report being happy people. And we've seen that not just in the United States, but in literally countries all over the world, that basic relationship between giving and happiness seems to be there. It's really interesting because it sort of seems counterintuitive to how we often spend our money. <laughs> like you said, we spend a lot on stuff and it doesn't really impact our well-being or happiness in a positive way. So I wonder why, why it seems so counterintuitive that if you actually give money to other people or buy gifts or are more generous in that way, that can actually increase your own well-being. I think it's so it's so fascinating. And, and one of the things that we do is experiments so that we can causally show that spending on somebody else makes you happier than, than spending on yourself. And so, for example, if I tell you, here's $5, and I either tell you, go, go buy a coffee for somebody else, or I say, go buy yourself a coffee. Intuitively, you might think that going and buying yourself a free coffee is awesome, and so you'd be really happy after that. Whereas going and buying somebody else a coffee and watching them drink your coffee could be really negative, right? It could not make you happy. And instead, what we find is when you drink a free coffee yourself, 
it's not bad to have a free coffee, but it doesn't really do anything to your day. But buying a coffee and giving it to somebody else, it's different. It's giving. They might thank you. That's the thing that actually makes us happier. We um, recreated our experiment uh, recently and filmed some people being generous. Uh, so we just gave people money and said, go give it away. When you get money to give away, you start getting really creative and thoughtful about it. And when they came up with these really interesting things, then what happened was other people got involved. That was the first thing they thought of. And now you're creating kind of a social event that's really interesting for people. So one woman, I think we gave her $20. She turned it into quarters. And then she put all the quarters in like a huge circle um, in a park. And then people <laughs> just came in and ran and grabbed quarters. Uh, and like little kids were there, basically. And it was super fun for them. And it was almost like an Easter egg hunt. She never would have thought to do that with $20 before then until we told her. But once we told her, not only was she so happy to see the kids, you know, having a good time, but also the kids were happy. And then you created this um, event with just $20. You created this social event that otherwise you wouldn't have done. Why do you think it's hard for us to give more or to want to give more? To me, giving is um, it's a little bit like exercising where, um, you know, we showed that giving makes you happy. That wasn't really that surprising to people. You know, we didn't discover some hidden secret of spending your money. If you tell people giving money away makes you happy, most people say, oh, yeah, I can see that because I gave to this charity and it meant a lot to me or I bought this gift for someone and, you know, they were really happy about it. So it's not a case where we don't understand the benefits. It's a case where we have a hard time putting it into practice. And in that way, it is like exercise. So I know that today I should not eat pizza and I should go for a run. And every day I decide to eat pizza and not go for a run because today it feels better. So it's it's not quite a self-control problem. It's just a today I'm focused on myself and not the future and not other people. Tomorrow I'm focused on other people, but I'm never at tomorrow. So we actually encourage people to try to be really programmatic about when and how much they give to commit them, just like with exercise, to commit yourself to regular giving and see if you can get more emotional benefits. So what are ways that you could commit or plan to be more generous? Like what are some tips that you give people? We've actually uh, suggested and worked with some nonprofits. So, you know, uh, whenever you give to a charity, they say, um, do you want to sign up for a recurring donation? And almost everyone says, absolutely not. I don't, I don't want to be committed <laughs> to this organization forever. It's not so much that you have to commit to one organization, but typically what happens when you give is someone randomly emails you or asks you, you know, I'm running a race, will you sponsor me? Or this thing happened in the world, will you give to it? But if the world doesn't prompt you, then you don't think to give and you carry on with your life. So you can literally set yourself up for recurring donations. You, you could, on the first of every month, find a charity that's really meaningful to you and give money to that charity. It can take two minutes, literally. One thing that I encourage people to keep in mind, and I try to remind myself of this as well when I'm not uh, giving enough, is... You can get paralyzed on where to give and how much to give. And, you know, should I give to a charity? Should I buy a gift for a friend? All of those sorts of decisions are really important. You want to spend your money uh, on things that matter to you. At the same time, sometimes that paralysis means you don't give at all. And we've shown that, you know, even when you give to a charity that's not your favorite charity in the world, you still tend to be happier than if you spend the money on yourself. 
So yes, think carefully about where you're giving, but also just give and you'll, you'll probably get benefits from it without getting wrapped up in, am I making the exact perfect donation? Um, I'll go back to kind of the beginning, meeting your father. My next guest is someone you maybe didn't expect to hear from. My mom, Dana Liney. When I was working on this episode, I realized that she would be someone who could give an amazing perspective of what it's like to not only give, but to be on the receiving end. I grew up in the city. And I grew up in a broken home, and I grew up very, very poor. We lived in low-income housing. We, um, most of the things that we did come by, uh, by way of necessity, was provided to us either by the state or kind people. You know, clothing and bags would show up from families with children who were older than us and things like that. And when I met your father, he was driving a semi for his father who owned three trucks and also farmed. My mom shared that for her, seeing my dad's family operate on their Minnesota farm was like nothing she'd ever experienced. My grandpa was a hardworking farmer who also owned a semi-truck business. My grandma worked in the house and my great aunt lived with them. My mom thought it was so amazing that it was a multi-generational family living together and working together on the farm. She saw it as a great way to raise a family So she took over managing the farm when my parents got married, doing the books and helping my dad, and things were pretty good for a while. But as the dairy industry began to tank and farmers began to earn less and less for the food they produced, things got financially challenging. And on top of all the farm responsibilities, they were also raising me and my six brothers and sisters. And while I can share with you that it was extremely difficult, and there were times, there were times over the span of our 18 years in the dairy business and farming that I cried. And I actually physically, physically had to hand him the checkbook and say, you have to do it this month because I just can't. I made those payments as best I could, but then there were those really, really tough times where I couldn't. So it was hard. There was a time where we had food stamps, and that was very early on when we had just two or three of you children. And I told Richard, I said, you know, I'll starve myself, but I won't starve my children. And so we were at a point where we just needed that little extra bump, and it got us through a hard period. And I actually wrote the letter to the social services people and said, thank you for your support, and I think we can take it from here. And I took ourselves off. So, and our, our, you guys were all in Head Start, which is just a wonderful program. And, and what they did every year in October was every child that belonged, uh, that was in the Head Start program and their siblings filled out a little form with a couple of little things that they might have on a wish list. And uh, those things were turned in through the Head Start teacher and some company or some family or some individual somewhere adopted that family and 
bought gifts for them, either the whole family or individual. So you never knew what it was. They came wrapped in a and then put in a big black plastic bag. <laughs> I remember bag. the big black bag. <laughs> it, it, it literally looked like dad was Santa bringing up a giant black bag from the basement. And and it was yeah. just full of pre- I mean, because there's seven of us. So it was literally yeah. full of presents <laughs> and just being like, wow. And then realizing as an adult, like you and dad didn't even know what those presents were going to be. Like it was as much a gift for you guys to see like the joy and excitement from us as we opened it. And, and just what a, I mean, that's such a good memory. I remember I got these little beaded um, purple earrings that I was like so thrilled about and thought were so cool. And uh, and yeah, a stranger picked those out for me. I didn't know that at the time, but now it's just like, wow. Do you have any other stories or memories of people giving to us, whether it was financially or with their time, that were really like meaningful to you and dad? Well, one always pops to my mind, and it's it's it was a really emotional time. And we were, it was, we we're coming up on winter pretty hard, and I needed a couple coats for the older kids uh, because I still had younger kids in Head Start. I never wanted to, I always felt this need to not, for lack of a better thing, abuse the generosity or the resources that were offered us because of our position. And so at this time, okay, so we needed a couple of winter coats and probably a couple of pair of heavier boots, which get kind of expensive for older kids. And um, I didn't, I didn't fill out a form through the Head Start program because they also have a separate pot for coats and hats and mittens that people donate money to and businesses to. And anyhow, I got a phone call, and it was right around dinner time. And uh, the gal that ran that program said to me, "Your Head Start teacher noticed that." <laughs> Your little girl, which was you, was wearing a coat that looked like it was more of a boy's coat. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, I hated I pink. Gonna... <laughs> it was probably my choice. <laughs> it was maybe your choice. But at that point, we probably, you know, we were waiting for sales to come on, you know, so we could kind of refurbish those that needed new coats that didn't have somebody else's to grow into or this or that. And I said, well, yeah, at that time, Sammy, you were wearing one of Philip and Evan's hand-me-downs. You know, it was a smaller one, but it still fit. And uh, she said, well, you know, we can can do something about that. Do you think Samantha would like a new coat? And I said, yeah, I think she'd love that. You know, so I gave sizes. And then... um, and then she said something about boots. And I said, well, you know, yeah, feet grow. You know, she's sure, you know, we're having this really kind of awkward, I, because I didn't ask, you know, I didn't put out for anything. And I thought, well, this is very nice of you to call. And we, I said, well, thank you very much for considering and remembering and calling. And I really appreciate it. And I hung up and I was heading back to the table, like five steps in and the phone rings. So I go back and at this time, the phone is attached to the wall. <laughs> So I go back to the phone and she says to me, no way. And I said, excuse me? And she said, no way. You have seven children. She said, 
you are going to get seven coats and seven sets of boots and seven hats and seven pairs of mittens. I need those sizes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like overwhelmed because she was right. And I was just too, too maybe ashamed or too, I didn't want to admit that we had that big of a need. And so I gave her those things. And Rick, your daddy's looking at me from the dinner table and I'm going, you know, so then he can figure out what I'm doing, you know, and I, I hang up the phone and I actually put my back against that wall. The wall and I kind of slid down and then I just cried and I gave thanks and I, and I apologized for my ego, <laughs> but I was such a blessing, you know, God sees everything and he sees the need and he sees the whole need. And in that case, he worked around my own sense of insecurity and ego and he provided. And those things work miracles in your heart and in your spirit. And you just know, okay, we're going to get through this winter just fine. And I know now that I don't have to worry about that. If there's a need, there's somebody out there that wants to fill it. People give to those organizations and to those programs because they know there's a need and that's how they can help. And if you deny those things, I have learned that if you deny somebody's ability to help you, you're denying them the blessing of being able to help. And so that was a huge lesson for me to learn. And when I help now, when I should say I, when I help like through the board or through even our own choosing off the mitten trees or whatever, I write a letter. The card that goes into that Santa bag says, thank you for allowing us to do this for you. Because I know how important that is. You know, people have needs. And it it comes and it goes and sometimes things are really good and some things are not so good. It's got nothing to do with who you are as a person. But, you know, when you see a need and you can help, whether it be with time, money, resources, that's, you know, something's speaking to you. You need to act on it. And I'm going to tell you, the reward and is the growth that you feel. Your reward has got no money on it. I mean, it is just pure gladness to be able to do it and to be recognize the blessings you have for the ability to do that. Sometimes I think back to myself as a little girl. And to be honest, I had no idea how poor we were or how much my parents struggled financially. In many ways, I was protected from that because of the generosity of strangers, including from local churches and, as my mom said, from Head Start, a U.S. government assistance program for children and low-income families. And that generosity continued throughout my life. I was given scholarships, opportunities, I was able to go to college, and was accepted into a scholarship program for first-generation college students. People gave of their time, their money, and energy, and it completely changed the trajectory of my life. Whether you're liberal or conservative, it doesn't really matter. Generosity and compassion know no political barriers, and the impact that it has whether it's buying someone a coffee, 
volunteering in a food pantry, or buying a little girl a new winter coat, it does make a difference and will probably make you happier in the process. If you haven't already, please do sign up for our newsletter. You can do so at csmonitor.com slash perception gaps. And a thank you to everyone who made this possible. My producer, Dave Scott, our studio engineers, Morgan Anderson, Ian Blockier, Tori Silver, Jeff Turton, and Tim Malone. Original sound design by Noel Flat and Morgan Anderson. And a special thanks to all my volunteer editors. Mark Sappenfield, Mark Trumbull, Greg Fitzgerald, M.O. Krepke, and Ben Frederick. Last but not least, a huge thanks to my mom. Without her, I literally wouldn't be here. Thanks for being so willing to share your story. I'm Samantha Lane Perfoss. Thanks for listening to Perception Gaps. This podcast was produced by the Christian Science Monitor. Copyright 2018.